We pick up at Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. We really have no doctrine in the uh, finishing off. This is just kind of his sign-off, not teaching us any doctrine, just mentioning some of his co-workers. So we're going to take a look at some of the co-workers that Paul has, why they made it into Scripture. Um, sometimes it can be just as simple that they made it into Scripture because the entire letter made it into Scripture, and this is just the end of the letter. It can just simply be that, that kind of a simple thing. So we don't need to look for anything really super uh, enlightening out of it, but I think we'll find some, some good things. Uh, in verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, fellow minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Now we first meet Tychicus in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. That reads, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. That's the first time we see him show up. Now, Paul is in Ephesus. There was a whole lot on your, on your outline there. We gave you two pages. If you get two pages, you're missing one. Gave you two pages on this. I think the last time we went over Colossians, I ended up just giving you one page and just deleted some of it. So I thought, well, we can do two pages. It takes more than double the amount of time to do two pages just to get the setup right. It's, it's, a, it's a bear, but I just figure having this stuff there for you would be a little bit better. Paul. Paul was in Ephesus near the end of his third missionary journey, planning to travel to Jerusalem. And that's what we come up to in Acts chapter 20. He would attempt to, to cement the relationship between the Jewish Christians in Israel and the Gentile Christians outside. That's what he's, he's out there to do. Now, Tychicus is one of the Gentile believers. That's what he would be. He was involved in helping out with the offering from Galatia and Achaia. His willingness to travel the distance shows his loyalty and willingness to serve Paul. <clears throat> this is time away from home and family, of course. There's a danger on a trip. Whenever you're taking trips like this, there's a danger to it. Danger in the boat with the shipwrecks, we know. But danger just on the road, just from robbers and things that can befall you there. Because, um, I mean, there was the Roman time. It was better than some other times. The Roman soldiers were at least around. But there's things that can happen to you on the road that we just don't even think about anymore. And, of course, you know all the warnings that were given to Paul. Now, Paul wrote Colossians two years after his arrest in Jerusalem. So this is about two years after his arrest in Jerusalem. There was a, along that, there was the plot by the Jews to kill him. There was a trial before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa, and the hard voyage to Rome. Tychicus was a candidate to replace Titus at Crete. And during Paul's second Roman imprisonment, he is still with him. We see that his desire to see Timothy, one last time, he sends Tychicus to stand in for him at Ephesus. Now, how, much, how many of y'all know how much he loved Timothy and how much he saw inside of Timothy? So he sees Tychicus as an adequate replacement for Timothy in the most influential church in the, in the world at that time. That says a lot for the, for the guy. Of all the people he could send, of all the people he had access to, Tychicus is the guy that he would do that with. It is estimated he had been with Paul about four years at the writing of the Colossians, and Paul sends him on the important mission of delivering the letters, the Colossians, the Ephesians, and Philemon. You'll see that in Ephesians 6.21 and Colossians 4 and, 19, 4 and 9. I'm sorry. So he's, uh, he's called upon. He is talented enough to be able to stand in as a pastor 
for the church at Ephesus to spell Timothy some relief so that he can come to see Paul. And yet, he'll also deliver letters. Uh, that's a versatile guy right there. And a guy who has, uh, doesn't see anything is beneath him. What, what do you want me to get one of the guys who can just run? Get one of those guys. Now, he, Paul has him deliver the Colossians letter, the Ephesians letter, and the Philemon letter. Now, you think about this delivering a letter. You get the letter. This is the precious letter. Uh, Paul wrote it. And, you know, we probably don't have the Xerox copies. Uh, I don't know if they made two copies of the, of the thing, if they saw that much to them. I think at the time they're just writing letters. And then as they got passed around, they were seen as valuable and then they became canonized. That was the process of it. It was not that uh, it was a Paul's letter, therefore we're going to canonize it. Because there's a lot of Paul's letters that didn't make it. And it's just that they weren't passed around as much. Certain letters were passed around the churches and people were learning from them. And the folks uh, at the Catholic Church around 350, when they had the, the, the um, uh, times to meet to canonize the scripture, uh, they were looking at the letters that were used in the churches. Which ones are being used? Which ones have fallen by the wayside? And they picked those letters that uh, seem to have, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of years later, are still being read. They're still being learned from. And so that's how a lot of these letters got in there. They did a great job of canonizing the, the scriptures and some of the ones that they, they left off. This didn't seem to have the same merit that these ones did. Now, I put this in your outline, too. The trip was a difficult one. He would have to cross much of Italy on foot. Think of Italy. Think of walking across it. Then he had to set sail across the Adriatic Sea to the coast of Asia Minor. Then about 100 miles on foot to reach Colossae. So when he says deliver a letter, he's not just saying, you know, going down to the post office or <laughs> anything. You've got to walk across Italy, get on a boat, sail across the, the sea, get to over to, to uh, land again, and then walk another 100 miles. Unless he was a runner, you know, he's going to run part of that, but no mention about that at all. He just, uh, he covered that distance just to deliver the letter. And then when Paul says, here, I got another letter for you. He delivers that one. And then uh, even when he says, I got a third letter for you. And they're just the three letters that we know that he delivered. There may have been other letters he, de he delivered that were never canonized or, or just uh, stuck around. And we just don't know because a lot of times he puts in the letter who's delivering it. And this one in Colossae, he, he does. He puts in the letter who's delivering it. There's two guys that are delivering it. This is one of them. But this is the guy that Paul relied on quite a bit. And he would put him in service. He, he followed Paul around. He would stay with him in the, uh, in the, when he was in prison. He would be around him. He would help him out. He, just, he would do all these things. And Paul would say, hey, I need you to go on down to Ephesus. Take over the church there for a while. Send Timothy up, up over here. Okay, Paul. And he would go on out there and he would do this, this kind of stuff. Well, what a help for Paul to have someone like that in ministry alongside of him to help him out. Now, there's two guys that delivered this. He's one of them. Uh, Onesimus is the other. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. That's Tychicus. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. Now, Onesimus, he's a runaway slave who made his home in Rome. Remember, he sent him back to his uh, owner once he got born again. And he said, hey, you know, you, you owe me your life. <laughs> and kind of hinting to the, he ought to set him free, which I guess he apparently did. But he was led to, to Christ by Paul. 
Paul told him he needed to return to his master, and he sent him back with a letter. And apparently he must have uh, gotten free by Philemon. At least that would be the indication. And he became one of those people that uh, really Paul relied on a lot. And here he sends two people back with this letter. They're supposed to update them on the things that Paul does. You know, tell them all the things that are going on in the ministry here. You guys have been here. You've watched this stuff. Go out there and, and fill them in. Uh, he's not sending them any particular message about what they have done. He's just sending them two people. You've seen all the stuff that's going on. When they ask you questions, if you think of things, bring it up to them, mention it to them, fill them in on, on what it is. Because not only is, is Paul wanting to know what's going on there, he wants them to know what's going on with him. And so you guys give that, that, that part there. So I'm sending him with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Verse 8, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So there's three purposes here. One is they're supposed to go there and find out how things are going so they can come on back to Paul and tell him what's going on. Uh, two is he expects them to have some words of comfort for him, direct words, not just words in a letter, but face-to-face directly with them. And then they're going to make the trip back to Paul. So they got the 100 miles back over to the coast, get on the boat, head on over, and then walk across Italy again to get over to where Paul is and give him the report of, of what's going on. Boy, I tell you what, phones make this a whole lot easier, don't it? I mean, even back when we had fax, faxes, you just fax the thing on over and call them up and say, how, how things going? Now, now we've got uh, Facebook that you can actually make phone calls on and you can see the person on the other end. Uh, granddaughter likes to do that. She's up there at the, the house and she doesn't want to just call. She wants to see and so um, she'll call on over, you know, we'll stay there on the phone. Of course, she's not real conscious of the phone. So a lot of times we're looking up at the ceiling <laughs> or she's carrying us around the room and we're spinning around. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of that's going on, but, um, but they like to, to see what's going on. We did this one time with my, my son when he was away. He was uh, changing climates. And so he says, I need some of the things that are out of my other. Uh, so he had it all organized and all put together. So we just took the phone up. And just we're showing them things. All right, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. Don't need this. Don't need this. And so we were to put them on a box and send them on over there. Uh, yeah, we get used to the, these kind of things now. What a difference from what it was before. They couldn't uh, couldn't do that. You had to send somebody, and they would give a verbal account, no pictures, just a verbal account, and then you'd uh, have to send them back. But these two guys, they did it. They made the trip. I'm sure that they're a lot happier making the trip together than making a trip by themselves. Now we come to another major player. Verse 10. Avastarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So here's the first one. Avastarchus. This is a Jewish believer with a Greek name and a native to Thessalonica. We saw that again in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and 27, 2. We'll look at it here in just a minute. He first appeared during Paul's prolonged stay at Ephesus. Remember, Paul was over there in Ephesus and things were going well and he stayed there for two to three years. They did it for a while. He was seized by the rioting mob in Acts chapter 19. Remember that mob that came on out there? I'll read this to you in verse 28. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So they couldn't get Paul, so they grabbed his travel companions. They recognized them, and these are people that travel with them. 
then um, they started beating on them, and, and Paul wanted to go out there and stop them. They said, no, you go out there and stop them. They're going to kill you. No, we can't have that going on. This is the guy who, um, traveled, just for traveling with Paul, gets beat up, gets in the, involved in a riot and a, and a mob, and he keeps on going. He, he stays with her, right with him. He accompanied Paul on his trip to Jerusalem and on the voyage to Rome. In Acts chapter 27, verse 1, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regime, regiment. So entering a ship of, oh man, Adram, Adramatium, okay, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So when he had that trip, they got stuck in the storm. And, you know, we just really read about Paul and the vision that he had from the angel and all this sort of thing. No one's going to die. You just got to do what I'm saying. All the stuff that was going on. This guy is right with him. He's on the ship. He's not just accompanying some other way. He is actually with Paul on the ship. Now, can you imagine the favor you must have if you are a prisoner? And the guard who has you as prisoner. Can I bring this guy with me? If we saw that in the movie, we all know that the guy would be a Rambo. And that somehow they would orchestrate an entire escape plot to get Paul off the ship. You know, he's going to be rammed by another ship and <laughs> all this sort of stuff that, that goes on. Because we all know that. You know, we ever watching the police show on the TV and they're going to move the prisoner. Every time they move the prisoner, it's the same thing. Every single time that they move the prisoner and you are watching the show and you are seeing them move the prisoner and you see all the precautions, you say, you sit back there and say, it's not enough. It's not enough. They're going to come get you. You know it. I mean, you're not even surprised when the car comes out of nowhere and hits them, knocks them off, or the bomb goes off and blows the thing up. And you're not even surprised. It's like, yeah, I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you were in this day, you would have been thinking, who is this guy? He's coming along with you. You want to bring a buddy along on the trip? He's probably not his only buddy either. But he's along for this one. Now, if you were along with Paul and you had this kind of a trip going on and you got beat up in a mob for the guy, how many of you are going anymore? When the boat stops, how many of you are saying, you know what? (laughs) That is enough. That is it. I mean, Paul, everybody knows about Paul. I'm here too. I got beat up, I got on the ship, I got the shipwreck, all this sort of stuff. Uh, but Paul, they're all happy when Paul gets there. Who are you? <laughs> so he's called a fellow prisoner, not because he was in prison too, but because he, was, he willingly lived the prison lifestyle with Paul. He bore the hardship with the fame that was, was there with Paul. In Philemon chapter 1, no, only one chapter, verse 23, <clears throat> Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So again, he's still hanging out. Still hanging out with Paul. Now in the same verse, we see that Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now we all know what happened with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. He's on the first missionary journey. Things got kind of tough. He hightailed it out, ran back home to mom. Stayed over there with mom. They had the second missionary trip. Barnabas wants to take John Mark because it's his cousin. And um, no, we don't want to do that. And so the big uh, disagreement rose up. And so Paul goes off with Silas and Barnabas goes off with Mark. 
All indications are that Barnabas died on that missionary trip. Uh, Mark did not. And Mark apparently got better in ministry and continued on. Even though he had a setback, he, he continued on with it. And Paul was not against Mark personally. He just was not going to bring someone who had proven himself to be unreliable on something as important as the second missionary journey. I happen to think Paul was right. I think Barnabas was wrong. And we get to heaven, I'll tell them both so. Mark had already shown he was not reliable. You don't put him into a ministry like what Paul was going to be doing. Just to be, just because you know you want to because he's your relative or whatever. So he was restored through Barnabas and also possibly Peter. Now in Mark chapter or Acts chapter fifteen thirty nine and forty we see that Barnabas took Mark then. But in First Peter five thirteen, she who is in Babylon elect together with you greets you and so does Mark my son. It would seem that somewhere along the lines Peter picked up Mark and did some things with him in ministry probably after Barnabas had had died that uh, he, he was being developed in ministry under, under Peter. That's a pretty good place to be developed. But Peter was doing most of his ministry in Jerusalem. Paul amongst the Gentiles. And Peter was getting some hassle from the Jews, but Paul was getting it from the Gentiles who just were a lot meaner. I think they were anyway. <laughs> Paul went, Peter went through some, some tough stuff too, and it got tougher as the persecution arose more between the Jews and the Christians. But... Um, not in the beginning part here that Mark was probably under. So it was probably a good place for Mark to develop and to, to get himself into this because he stuck around with, with Paul during the hard times. He was, he was there. In Philemon 24, Paul names him as one of his co-workers. And in 2 Timothy 4 and 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. That's in 2 Timothy, which by all accounts seems to be Paul's last letter that he wrote. So one of the last things he wrote about was, bring Mark to me, he's useful to me. Now, it's not the first time that he has been there because he's already been listed as a co-worker with Paul. Somewhere along the lines, he picked him up, things had gone on. He probably sent him off on some journeys and some, some things. Maybe he was even delivering some letters, whatever it might be. But he was with Paul, then Paul probably sent him out like he does all his, his other ones. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 11, And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers in the... For the kingdom of God, who are the circumcised? So that's not the whole list. It's just this last um, last one, I believe, starting with Aristarchus. That uh, they're probably the ones that he's talking about for the fellow workers for the the kingdom. I'm not sure how Aristarchus would be that one, but uh, that's all kind of in the same group of sentences. But anyway, whatever group he's talking about here, these he's he's separating them. There are some that are the Jewish faith and some that are the Gentile faith. These are the ones that are in the Jewish faith. Um, and Jesus, who is called Justice, he's uh, uh, Jesus is Greek for the for uh, Joshua. Uh, justice means righteousness. He may have been one of the Roman Jews that was converted in Acts chapter twenty-eight and verse twenty-four. It reads this way: and some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So historians seem to in, seem to have a suspicion that he was one of the ones who was converted there. Uh, not a whole lot is said about him. But we have that for us. Now, here's one of the other big players in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. 
Now, Epaphras seems to be the pastor of the church of Colossae. <clears throat> he also seems to have either a bishop type of influence over these other two cities, Laodicea and Heropolis. Uh, it seems to, to, to be some kind of relationship that he has there. But Paul specifically mentions him with these three particular cities. Uh, historians seem to indicate that he was probably or was very much so the pastor of the church of Colossae. And so he says this about him. Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. So he, even though he's with Paul right now, for some reason he had to come up with Paul. And even though he's with Paul, he is all the time praying for the people back there at, at the church. That would seem to indicate, I would think anyway, that he's, he might be there with Paul, but he's eventually going to be going back. Somebody else is standing in for him at that place, and he's eventually going to go back. He still has them very much as a, as a part of him. Greet you, uh, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. These are the things that he's praying for them. Paul knows this. Paul has a good relationship with Epaphras. Epaphras probably in bringing him in. Paul, this is what I'm praying for, for, for these folks over here. And Paul, being one of the founders of the, of the uh, ministry there, of course, he's going to be praying for it along those lines too. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis. So there's great zeal for him. He's always, he's coming out and says, this is what the Lord showed me about him. He, this, you know what they're doing over here? He's just always talking about them. Hey, great zeal. Paul says, man, you've got a great enthusiasm for this church that, you're, that you got there. And probably knows that his time with them is going to be short because he he's going to want to go back. He had journeyed to, to Rome to tell Paul of the heretical things moving in on the churches in the Lycus Valley. That's the, the churches there that we talked about. And though Epaphras is not there right now, he is still laboring for them in his prayers. He's, he's laboring from the word we, uh, I'm sorry, laboring is from the word we get agonized from. So the same way we use that word agonized, this is the word that is being used when he talks about him laboring for them in prayer. He's not just, oh God, you know, I'm going to go there and bless them and stuff. No, he's agonizing in this prayer. He is fully invested in this prayer. He says here, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, um, Pulling that up there. Yep, okay. I'm just checking to see that because I looked at uh, my old version of the New King James. I have one that's real, real old. I have a lot of notes in, and so I still have that uh, and, and keep that around. And I was reading through this. It says, why is that not there? They're missing the word bond servant. They just put in the word servant. I didn't think any New King James had anything different, but apparently mine did have something a little bit different there. I put in there servant, but it actually is the word bond servant here. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ. Now, this is significant because this is a designation Paul uses several times for himself, but only of one other person beside Epaphras. That person is Timothy. That's the only other person he uses this particular designation for, is Epaphras and Timothy. Does that tell you what kind of a person he's, he's seen Epaphras as? Now, remember who started the church in Colossae? Paul. Now, when Paul leaves, what's Paul's role? To put people in the ministry there. So how do you think that Epaphras got to be the pastor at Colossae? Paul put him in there. So Paul has great respect for him and calls him a bondservant, just like he uses that term for himself. Now you'll see some other ones. I think James uses it for himself as well. And um, uh, Peter, I believe he uses the same term for himself as well. Paul used it the most for himself, more so than anything else. But Epaphras 
is is just uh, one of the. Even though he has all these responsibilities back there at home, he saw it important to come on back there and to to either minister to Paul or help Paul with something. Or Paul called upon him says, "Hey, can you come on back here? I I, I want to get a first hand report of how things are going in the church there." And he saw that Paul, if that's what you need, I'm there. And he makes the journey that we just described for the other folks, 100 miles over to the coast, gets on the boat, and then uh, sails over to wherever it is he has to get to, does the walk <laughs> that he has to do to, to get to the, to the spot, just to give a report, just to be there to help Paul. That's the kind of uh, dedication that you see from Epaphras for Paul. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas greet you. Now, like Paul, Luke is a well-educated man. Can't be an uneducated person and be a, doc- and be a doctor like he was. Uh, he frequently traveled with Paul. And it seems that after joining with Paul in his second journey, he stayed with him most of Paul's life. Because the book of Acts is written by Luke. And he gives a first-hand account of the things that went on with Paul in the ministry there. Because he was there. He followed, he followed Jesus around. He followed Paul around. What a guy to have with you. He may have even been on the boat. Speculations on Luke's background. These are speculations. We don't know. Uh, first off was that he was Titus's brother. Uh, another one that knew Paul when he was a student at Tarsus. That he was a freed slave of the household of Theophilus. I don't know where all those theories come from. I don't know the basis of it. I just know that those theories are out there. So Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas greets you. How many remember Damas? Damas is in the Word of God about some other things. So he's, uh, he's with Paul during both imprisonments. During both imprisonments, Damas is there. And then he deserted Paul. In 2 Timothy 4 and verse 9, this is again the, one of the last epistles he, he writes, probably the last epistle that he writes. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Damas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Now, we just know he says Damas deserted him. We don't think the other guys did. They probably were sent somewhere. Paul said, they need you over here. Go on over here. But Damas had been with him for two imprisonments. And so somehow on this one, he just got either tired of it, or whatever it was, it just says that he has forsaken me. Not that I sent him somewhere. He's forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Isn't that amazing? That Damas had stayed with him all this time. Had stayed with him for these, these things. Even in, in, the, in Colossians, Luke, the beloved physician, and Damas greet you. He's there with Paul. He's there helping Paul out in the ministry. He's, doing, he's following where Paul's going. He's doing all these things. And then somehow something came up that caused him to go after the things of the world instead of the things of God. But he was no slouch. He stayed there for some tough, tough times. He was there for the first two imprisonments. He was there for the things that are going on in between, led to the imprisonments and so forth. So he's, he's not a wimp. But somehow, on this last one, it got to be too much. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was hard for him to see the walls were closing in on, on Paul. He said, Paul, Paul's going to die. Paul's going to die. Maybe it was just he got nervous and said, well, if Paul dies, I, what am I going to do? And so maybe he said, I better figure out what I'm going to do now. Maybe he had an opportunity that came. Maybe they said, look, Paul's going to die. We got this opportunity for you back over here in Thessalonica. Why don't you come on over here? And he may have said, you know what, Paul? I, I got to take this opportunity. I don't know what's going to happen after you die. We don't know what happened. We just know that Paul said he forsook me. 
He left. He went somewhere else. And he asked Timothy, he says, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Damas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. In Colossians 4, verse 15, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now how many of you know what's written in the epistle to Laodicea? We don't. That's a letter that Paul wrote. Apparently didn't make it. We, have, uh, we know that there's one to the Corinthians that didn't make it. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. That's actually false. We have 1st and 3rd Corinthians. 2nd Corinthians apparently didn't make it. But see, since it went by the wayside, we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. That's how we, we look at them. And say to Atropos, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Now, according to the 4th century apostolic constitutions, Archippus was the first bishop of Laodicea in Phrygia, now part of Turkey. Another, uh, another tradition states that he was one of the 72 disciples of Jesus. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church observes a feast day for St. Archippus. So he's, um, he came into some prominence, even though we don't think of that name a whole lot. He says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So he pulls this one guy out, and he says this to him. Couldn't you say that to a whole lot of people? Why is it that he says it to this guy? He wants them to say this to him. Don't just read it to him. Don't just show it to him. I want you to say this to Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Maybe he was thinking that the ministry he received from the Lord wasn't such a blessing. Maybe he was thinking that it wasn't that important. Whatever the reason was, he, Paul says, light a fire into this guy. Tell him he received this ministry from the Lord and it's important. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I tell you, we could, we could all kind of take that verse of Scripture, couldn't we? How easy is it for us to, to take the ministry that we receive from the Lord and say, oh, it's not all that important. Nothing really happened if I drop it. It's not a big deal. But Paul, with all the people that are around there, singles this guy out and says, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. Amen. And the letter is, is done. But what an ending of all these people that are caught up in the, into the ministry and this encouragement that he gives each, each one of them for the things they're doing. It's interesting to see where they had become. All these were people that Paul picked up. They were people that, Paul, that came to Christ under Paul's ministry. More than likely, all of them did. They came to this place of a relationship with Christ. He trained them up and he put them in ministry positions, different places. Some of them high positions. Some of them not as, not as high. Some of them the, he really counted on. Some of them he counted on as much as he could. Uh, even Damas. Even though Damas is going to fall by the wayside down the road, right now Paul counted on him quite a bit. Have you ever counted on someone who eventually left? 
forsake you and went, went another direction? You ever kick yourself or why did I count on them? Well, look at this. Paul's counting on, on Damas and Damas is going to leave. There's a lot of other people that Paul counted on, had ministries with, and uh, he wrote about them. He said, they, they left me. They went after this. They, uh, they, they went and fell into false doctrine. All the different things that they'll say about them. <clears throat> but here's what, here's what he said. Take heed to the ministry which you received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I think each one of us could probably write that on a card and put it on a refrigerator. It could become a refrigerator verse for us. Because we need to remember, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. The ministry we have, we have received in the Lord. Don't ever count it as, as nothing. Don't count it, ever count it as unimportant. We saw all these guys. Some of them were letter deliverers. They delivered letters. Some of them oversaw churches. Some of them were just there to support Paul. That's all it seems that they did. They were there and they supported Paul. They were there as a help. Whatever Paul needed, they were, they were there. I mean, why accompany Paul on a boat? Why do that? Can you imagine if you were, Archippus, if, if, if you were in that place and you saw all the things that happened, Paul has to go. Paul has to go. He has no choice. He's a prisoner. But you don't. And Paul stands up and says, Brethren, we should winter here. I perceive that this voyage will end in loss of life and much cargo or however else he put it. Can you imagine being one of Paul's companions? And Paul says this, and you don't have to go. You don't have to go. You can say, Paul, I'm going to do what you said and stay here. And I'll winter here and I'll meet up with you over there. Because you said, <laughs> but they hear that and they say, Paul, if you have to go, I'm going to go. Sometimes we read past these things. This guy, they had decisions. If Luke was with them, he had to make that decision too. Could you, could you make that decision? Could you make that decision to say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go with you just because God has called me, <clears throat> God has called me to come along and, and be here with you. So even though this is going to be, I don't know if I'm going to survive. I don't know if I will make it through this one because just what you said, what you perceive. But I'm going to go along with you. Would you have been able to do that? I wonder. Because we sometimes look over the fact that he heard the, the word that Paul said. And he does not have to go. What if he would have stayed? Would anyone have blamed him? But knowing that the trip was going to end in peril, he gets on the boat and says, Paul, I am here with you. What's his purpose on there? The only purpose he has is to minister to Paul. Whatever Paul needs, he's there to take care of it. Aristarchus, what, I mean, what a guy. What a guy. And Paul let him. If you knew that the trip you were on was going to end in peril, if you perceive that in your spirit, and a real close friend of yours wants to come along, how many of you are saying, look, I really appreciate you want to come along. You don't have to go. This is going to be a bad voyage. You need to just stay here. Paul may have tried. He may have argued back. No, Paul, I need to go with you. 
May to go with you. Luke may have been along on the trip too. I wrote this in your outline for you. I really hadn't thought about this until I was putting this all together with these guys. But don't underestimate the role of serving or supporting someone in ministry. Don't ever underestimate that role. Paul was very clear when he talked about his need of them. I need Timothy. I need Tychicus. Epaphras, you need to come to me. Very clear about his need for some of these things and, and the support role that they do. I don't know what it's like to be Paul, to be an apostle, to be traveling around and what these guys would have added to him. I have no idea what all that was. But I do know, in whatever capacity you are in ministry, there are people that are with you that support you. And I'll tell you what, they're important. They are important. I came to the realization many, many years ago, probably decades, decades ago, that um, a lot of the reasons that you do things in ministry is, is, as far as the church is concerned, you don't do the things you do in ministry. And this is Wednesday night crowd. Only people who ever listen to Wednesday night services are, are people that are serious. And only people who come out to Wednesday night services are people that are serious. So I can talk to you about this stuff. Couldn't say something like this on a Sunday. But the, the, the folks that come out on a Sunday morning, most of them, not why I want, a, a number of them, just kind of come and go. But there are some when they show up. I've noticed myself noticing this thing, that there are some, and when, they're, when they're there, it's just like, <sighs> there's a relaxing that goes on. There's a, there's a sense that says, you know what? These people, th- these certain ones, they pull the word out of you. Oh, it's going to be good. Because so-and-so is here. These ones are here. They're just, they pull the word out of you. Oh, it's going to be easier to do this. And then sometimes you come on in, and some of those folks are missing. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> you just <laughs> all right. Well, I'm I'm more more I'm uh, more on my own on this one. I don't quite have the same same kind of support that's there. It's I'll tell you what's support in ministry. Don't ever underestimate it because sometimes we, it's easy for us to do. I appreciate the way many of you folks have been supportive here and things that I've done and things we've done here. Your support is it's I tell you I think about it all the time. Father God, what would I do? You know, sometimes you get word, and some of the people that you, that they are that support to you. You know, uh, like when the, the Hicksons said they were moving. Oh. That's one of those ones that's like, oh. But there's been other ones. You know, they, they come on up and they say, oh, we're, we're doing, oh. You just kind of feel it. I know what Paul's going through with this thing. And you all know it too, because there's certain people in your life that just minister to you. They just, they help you. You feel stronger because they're there. And this is what Paul is talking about. Here's some guys. And these guys, I'm stronger because they are there. Don't ever underestimate your role in support of any ministry that you support. Don't ever underestimate. Don't ever let the devil talk you out of it and say, you're not important. You're not. Because you see, because you have a sprinkling of people in the congregation who pull on that word. There are people in the congregation who don't pull in it, but benefit from it. They benefit. There are people in the congregation who pull on the worship team and bring that worship into a place. And there are other people that just sit there and benefit. 
They just benefit from it. But they benefit because there are certain people who pull on it. Be one of the ones who pulls. Be one of the ones it's imperative that you're there because you support it. Because you you do things. Don't ever underestimate it. Paul, one of the greatest ministers in the New Testament, talked about his need for these. And he would take someone like Timothy. Timothy, I need you to leave all that you're doing in Ephesus and come up here to me. I need you to go on this voyage that is very dangerous and probably going to end badly. I need you to come along with me. Think about this, folks. When Paul gets up there and he gets his rewards, don't you think that these folks that he mentions are going to have a part, are going to have a hand in what it is that he did? Oh, I think very much that they are. Very much that they are. Don't ever underestimate the role that you have. Because these folks were there with Paul, because of the beating some of them took in place of Paul, because of some of the encouragement they gave him, because some of the help that they gave him, he was able to continue to go on. <clears throat> and people received the word. People heard things about the word. Letters were written and delivered safely. And we have some of them in our hand today. We think of Colossians and we think, oh, thank you, Paul, for writing this wonderful letter. But what of the guy who made sure that it got there? Or the two guys? What about them? Who made the trip to walk across Italy? <clears throat> get on a boat and sail across the sea and then walk another hundred miles to get to the city and deliver it along with the things Paul said to do and then to make the trip back. We saw one guy, he did it in, for at least three different cities. Those three cities were greatly ministered to. Some of those letters made it back into our New Testament and we are greatly ministered to. But they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know at the time that they were d- delivering the letter to, to Colossae that this was anything more than a letter to that region. That's all they knew. They didn't know when they delivered the letter to Ephesus that it was anything more than a letter to the churches in that region. They didn't know. But it became something a whole lot more. And as much as we have Paul to thank for these letters, we also have the people who made sure that they got delivered safely, put in the hands of the people who needed them, who were willing to make the trip. We owe it to them as well. Don't ever lose sight of the importance of being support in ministry. Never lose sight of it. I thank God for all the folks that we we have in support. We have people that, that just that draw. I know as, as a fact because of the churches I've been in that the percentage of people in this church as uh, people who draw is higher than in most. It's higher than in most. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. You all mean the world to us. You're our family. You're our support. Appreciate the prayers. Appreciate all the things that you do. Because it wouldn't go on if it weren't for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we 
look at letters like this, even something on a simple sign-off, we can hear the heart of Paul and understand how important it is that we support those that are in ministry. That we do the things that are important in the service, in prayers, but also just being there. I thank you, Father, for the ministers all over this country, the people that you have planted in their life, that it be the encouragement to them as these folks were to Paul. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.